the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us as we get underway. At 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 20th morning of the month of groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. Yes, the grooming does indeed continue, and we will continue to push back and fight it and protect our children at every single turn. That is my pledge. We're going to do everything we can. If kids are going to be destroyed by being transed and by having their confusion taken advantage of by very, very evil adults, um, they're going to do it over my best efforts. They're going to do it despite my best efforts, and hopefully yours as well. Our kids deserve so much of, so much better than that. We have a ton on that subject, by the way, coming up today. But let me tell you about what else we have going on today. It is a Tuesday, and that means it's a curse in our day. So one hour from now at 1010, we will be educated and enlightened by the great Peter Kersenow, our good friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, so we're looking forward to that. We're also going to look at something today that a lot of people don't even know is going on. Um, Apparently, there are an awful lot of missing kids in uh, Northeast Ohio. There always are, to an extent. 
But this is something much, much bigger. This is something much, much deeper. We're talking about, you know, several dozen. Several dozen kids are have gone missing. And we're trying to figure out why. We're trying to figure out if there is some sort of a massive trafficking network that's going on in Northeast Ohio. So we're going to be talking uh, with uh, Dr. Larry Macon about that uh, coming up at 1110. And I'm looking forward to that uh, conversation so we can kind of figure out what's going on in uh, Northeast Ohio. Kids are turning up missing at some very, very disturbing numbers. So Peter Kirsten now and Dr. Macon will be our guest. You will be our guest in hour number one if and when you are ready to dial 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Hey, before we get into the most important news of the day, um, this is just one of the most mm, eye-opening pieces of news of the day. It's just, it's, it's the thing with the Titanic submersible. Um, I am a bit of a history buff. Disasters, natural disasters, uh, obviously in this case a man-made disaster, colliding with nature, with the Titanic. Um, I have watched virtually every documentary I can get my hands on. I've read books about it. It's just one of those things. Sometimes Some things grab you more than others, and the idea of the Titanic has been, just been a... Uh, you know, a source of fascination for me in trying to imagine what those passengers went through and those crew members and so forth when that whole thing went down in 1912, literally. Uh, it, it's similar to 9-11, obviously 9-11 being intentional as opposed to the accident of the Titanic. But, you know, we, we've talked about this every September. I talk about this on the radio for the last 20 years. Um, you know, what the passengers on the planes must have been thinking as they realized where they were and how low they were and what in the world and what the people in the towers must have been thinking and all the whole nine yards. So it's a, it's a how do you deal with disaster and with looming death, uh, upon you and that sort of thing that just kind of, you know, it just, it just makes it very, very fascinating to me anyway. So I'm just very interested in the Titanic. So my answer is probably a given here. Yours maybe not, but the question is, if you had an unlimited pool of money, and I don't mean if you somehow managed to scrape together the $250,000 it costs, but if you had an unlimited pool of money and $250,000 was a blink for you, the way it is for the billionaire who is on board that Titanic wreckage submersible right now, um... If you had unlimited resources like that, would you take the trip in a submersible down to tour the Titanic, the wreckage, uh, in the North Atlantic? Um, I would have done it in a heartbeat until now. Um, James Cameron, who made the movie Titanic, he's been down there a couple of dozen times. We're not talking about grave robbing, by the way. A lot of people say that's a... That's a graveyard. You don't go down there and you don't, uh, you know, uh, dig up a graveyard. I agree, totally. I'm not suggesting we should touch it at all. But people do go to graves, don't they? People go to cemeteries and they pay their respects. That's what I'm talking about. Going down, not disturbing anything, being in one of those submersibles, you know, essentially a submarine, uh, 12,000 feet below the ocean's surface. And just look and try to understand and experience the depth, no pun intended, of the of the tragedy. I would have done it because I'm a history buff and that thing, like I said, fascinates me. But I'm curious. Would you? That's on one of those. I, I can't even put it on my quote-unquote bucket list because it's not achievable. 
You understand? Like a bucket list thing, things I want to do before you die, it, it, things you can do. Like, you know, I want to visit this country, that country, this, whatever, accomplish this, do that, write a book, whatever your bucket list is that is achievable is different than something that's not achievable. To me, you know, coming up with $250,000 uh, to go and visit the Titanic is not achievable. So I can't call it a bucket list, but it is one of those things where if I could do it, I would do it. If somebody else put the money up and said go, I would do it. Well, until now. Like I said, so if you're not following the story, uh, bottom line here is that according to some experts, as they're trying to figure out what happened down there and why they have not heard from this sub now in, in what, almost two days, um, <laughs> is they think it may have imploded, a catastrophic implosion, which means they're all gone, which means there are now more victims down there um, than there were from the original 1912 disaster. A career scientist in the submersible vehicle industry fears the worst, a catastrophic implosion regarding the fate of the, quote, Ocean Gate. Uh, The submersible with five people on board has been missing since Sunday while bringing tourists to explore the wreck of the Titanic. For there not to be any communications or any movement, indications are that something went critical, said Steve Somlady, I'm going to go with, uh, a Florida-based senior researcher who has 20 years of experience in submersible design and operation. The pressure down there at 4,000 meters is pretty high at 5,800 PSI at Titanic depth. If they have any kind of leak at all, it would lead to an implosion, and it would happen in an an instant, very immediately. You wouldn't even know it happened. Uh, He has been working for Bluefin Robotics, uh, which is a scientific research firm, or and a scientific research firm. Um... An infographic um, kind of spells it out. Titanic tourist submarine goes missing. Um, Search and rescue operations have been underway since Sunday. The U.S. Coast Guard in Boston uh, was dispatched. Researchers helped build the underwater vehicle used in the search for the Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 that disappeared mysteriously back in 2014. That blows me away. That's almost been 10 years since that one. If they had any kind of break, it would lead to an implosion. Rescue operations and options are limited at best. They had uh, roughly 72 hours of oxygen in the vehicle, so they may have uh, obviously far less than that, maybe 48 uh, more uh, hours of oxygen left in the vehicle if they are still alive. But they're they're using sonar, they're using subs, they're using ships, they're using planes, they're using uh, just about everything they can to try to map that area of the ocean to try to find them. But uh, but they can't get any kind of connection or communication with them whatsoever, so they are obviously fearing the worst. This is just one of those nightmare scenarios, for me anyway. I just find it fascinating. Like I said, I don't mean to put all of this on you, but... If you have a thought on it, would you go? Would you go and do something like that? Would you see something like that? You know what? I'll be honest with you. It kind of, it kind of, um, mirrors the question about space. If you could go into space, for example, either with a NASA crew, and we saw what happened when they sent a non-astronaut, a non-astronaut up in 1986 with the Challenger, the uh, school teacher, Krista McAuliffe, I think was her name. You know, what are the odds of something like that happening when a when a civilian is on board and it just so happened that that was the worst timing in the world? But if you could go up as a civilian into space, either with NASA or with one of Elon Musk's, uh, you know, space projects, would you go just in the interest of seeing something that nobody else can ever see? Um, or very, 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 very few people could could ever see. I just, I don't know. 
And the best part about it is, or the worst part about it is, is I just kind of uh, do a little mental uh, and, and personal uh, evaluation here, is I'm not an adventurer. I'm not the kind of guy who wants to go climb Mount Everest. I'm not the kind of guy who wants to go and, uh, you know, uh, tour down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I'm not an adventurist in that way, but there are a couple of things. Going down to see, see the Titanic or going up into space, both of which are almost equally uh, as unexplored uh, or unnavigable, uh, if you will, uh, because that's the reality of space and the reality of the depths of the ocean. There's literally more unexplored uh, ocean, I think they say, than there are the skies. But uh, at any rate, there's a tragic story there, and I'm sure you'll join me in prayers for those, because it's not just a billionaire, by the way, that's on board. There are a crew on board who take these people down, and these are just hardworking people. Uh, you know, working and doing their thing and navigating a, a submarine or a submersible, if you will. And, um, you know, they're all in a, in, a, in a grave state now as well. Let's hope not a literal one, but uh, that's the reality. Okay, uh, before we do the news of the day, Patriots, let's stand. Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, put your hand on your heart, face your flag if you have one. If you don't have one, we'll work on that. If you're driving, you don't have to do the stand part. And if you are a believer in socialism versus communism, like that unemployed quarterback, then go kneel next to him. I bring that up today because, you know, we refer to that unemployed quarterback every day when we do this, but today he's actually in the news again. Former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick says it's time for the United States to forego capitalism and embrace socialism because it's impossible, he said, for, for true social justice to be achieved under capitalism. And before we do our pledge, I would remind you, he made roughly $40 million off of capitalism as an NFL player and as a spokesman for all things woke. So a guy who got rich on capitalism is decrying capitalism, which is why I continue to make fun of him every single day when we do our Pledge of Allegiance. I will continue to. The height of hypocrisy. So if you are a believer in socialism over capitalism, well, then you don't believe in that flag. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, you can take a knee next to that guy, the unemployed quarterback, while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. President Trump went on Fox News yesterday. Did he help himself or did he hurt himself? I'm, uh, I'm going to give you the answer to that question right after this timeout. It's 22 minutes after the hour. Always right radio on AM 1420 DS. Okay, it is 925. We're going to get into uh, President Trump. Going on, uh, going on with Brett Bear on Fox News yesterday. Almost like going into the uh, den of the enemy. Almost. It's not like he went on CNN or or MSNBC again. But uh, the way Fox News is going lately, you can understand the hesitancy that should be there if you're uh, if you're President Trump. But he went there, and he spent a lot of time talking to Brett Bear and trying to help himself. I don't think he succeeded. I think there were some very, very serious problems there, and the prosecution for President Trump's trial is smiling this morning. I don't think he helped himself, and quite frankly, I don't know which advisors he's listening to that are telling him to go on Fox News. 
doing interviews about his documents case as opposed to just letting his lawyers handle it, letting the situation play itself out. Going on TV and doing interviews about this is going to give the prosecutors so much more ammunition, and it's very, very troubling. I'm going to break that down for you as best I can. But first, Sally's in Berea. Sally, you're on AM 1420. The answer, you want to talk about that submersible? Go ahead, Sally. Hi. Hi, Bob. First of all, I'm praying for their recovery, but I do hope if they did um, meet their maker that uh, it was sudden, maybe the implosion. Um, As far as my personal choice, if I had that kind of money, I would still prefer to stay on Earth, although I respect everybody's sense of adventure. I would, um, instead of going to the moon or underneath the sea, I would prefer to do other risky things like, you know, maybe take a train through the mountains with the scenic view. Or I love airplanes, the most dangerous part, the takeoff and the landing. I just love that. But again... Everybody is, we're in a free society still. Everybody has the choices to make, how they want to spend their money. And regarding Colin Kaepernick, socialism will not give social justice, and we all know that. So thank you, Bob. Well, you got it. Thank you, Sally. I appreciate the call. Uh, No, but don't try to explain that to them. (laughs) Uh, They think that social justice requires the rich being... um, knocked down several pegs and that they give their money and redistribute their wealth to the poor and that that would lead to social particularly minorities if they got the money from the rich that would lead to social justice and it would have, of course also necessitate socialism collectivism and socialism so uh you're right about that but yeah to the point about the titanic you know like i said it's not really you know uh, the adventurism uh, aspect for me because i'm not really an adventurist I'm, i have no interest whatsoever in going hot air ballooning i have no interest in going uh you know uh, uh hang gliding I've got quite a fear of heights, to be quite honest with you, which has really only happened in my adult years. So there are a lot of things that I wouldn't want anything to do with. But like I said, the fascination of the history for me is is the, is reason enough for me to want to go down there if I could do so. Uh, it would be a very, very intense experience. I don't suffer from claustrophobia, so I don't think I'd be afraid of that. And I'll tell you what, they have sent that submersible or similar submersibles. Companies have been giving tours of the Titanic wreckage for so many years now, uh, since it was first discovered in 1985, um, I kind of figured they had it down pat. I kind of figured, like, I'd be safe as as just, like, taking a cross-country flight. But apparently not. Now I would rethink the entire thing because of this this dramatic and tragic situation. I just uh, can't imagine what it would be like to be down there and be in such a state of complete disconnection if they haven't had the implosion, the sudden implosion that I just described for you. If they're just down there disabled waiting for another submersible or waiting for some sort of rescue attempt to try to uh uh you know to save all of their lives if they're just watching the oxygen timer tick away uh that would be an absolutely horrific thing to experience so i i kind of feel like i would rethink it now but it's just one of those things we all have our um interests and our fascinations and that one is one of mine so i i really am praying for those who are uh who are affected by that. Okay, we're coming up on the bottom of the hour news. Obviously, we couldn't do the uh, President Trump stuff there, so we're going to do that on the other side. President Trump spoke yesterday to Brett Baer at length, and I don't know that he's helping himself here. There are a lot of us going on the air every day to tell the truth about the witch hunt, and we are trying our very level best to expose it for what it is, 
I know people like Jim Jordan are out there fighting for him tooth and nail. And I don't know that he's helping us to help him by going on Brett Bear and putting his foot in his mouth. And he did that several times yesterday, and we're going to talk about that coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 937, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Indeed, don't forget Peter Kirsten now coming up after the top of the hour. I want to talk a little bit about uh, President Bi- or President Trump's rather uh, conversation with Brett Baer last night on Fox News. If you didn't watch it on Special Report uh, or see highlights of it, I'm going to give you some of the some of those important pieces of this. And I'm going to say this directly. President Trump needs to stop hurting us from helping him. There is no question that President Trump has been the victim of a witch hunt. That witch hunt started with Crossfire Hurricane back in 2015. It continued through the first year of his presidency. It continued with the impeachment over the bogus Russian collusion trash. It continued even further with a second impeachment over the phone call with Ukraine. They have done everything that they can do to try to destroy this guy's political career, and it's targeted political persecution. Now, raising to the level of political prosecution. Because he's literally being prosecuted in a federal court. It's insane. It can't happen. It shouldn't happen. And many people are working very, very hard to defend him. And what we need right now is for him to work with us in trying to help defend him and not go on TV and give the left and give the prosecution more ammunition I don't know who's advising President Trump but if they're letting him or telling him good idea boss go on TV with Brett Baer and go on TV and do these interviews about stuff that he's gonna have to defend himself on in this trial we know the trial is bogus but it's still a trial we know it shouldn't have been brought but it has been brought he can't avoid just like he couldn't avoid the arraignment he had to go to Miami last Tuesday and he had to be arraigned, and now he's going to face trial. It's reality. It's bull crap. It's not fair. It's unjust. It's a two-tiered system of justice. It's, it's, a, it's a stain on our country. But it's happening. There's no denying it's happening. He's going to stand that trial. Now, the question is, is, is he giving the prosecution more ammunition? Is he giving... The left, more ammunition with which to attack him. By going on and giving interviews and answering questions about the, uh, indict, in the indictment, the, uh, existence of the audio tape in which he talks about a document that he has that is something he could have classified when he was president that he couldn't classify when he was not president, but it's very, very secret. These types of Q and A's, these questions and answer periods with people like Brett Beer here are devastating. Take one look at social media today, last night, or today, 
and take a look at leftist news accounts. They are clicking their heels together and dancing in the streets because they feel like Trump is perjuring himself before he even gets to the trial. They're going to use everything. You know the old saying, right? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Well, this isn't a, an arrest with Brett Baer, but anything he says can and will be used against him in his trial. And these questions are only going to raise more questions. I want you to listen. This is a two-minute clip that I believe is the most severe and significant and serious issue for President Trump. I told Jim Jordan this. And that is the question of that audio tape. Uh, I want you to listen to it, and then we'll react to it together. But this is President Trump with Brett Baer yesterday uh, on Special Report. He went on Fox News in the belly of the beast, the network that is no longer supportive and favorite uh, uh, favorite of President Trump's. He went there anyway, and this is part of what happened. Oops, hold on one second. All right, here we go. You can imagine this. I don't want to dwell on it, but according to the indictment, you were here at Bedminster on July 21st, 2021, after you're no longer president, and you were recorded saying that you had a document detailing a planned attack on another country that was prepared by the U.S. military for you when you were president. The Iran attack plan. You remember that? Ready? You were recorded. It wasn't a document. Okay. I had lots of paper. I had copies of newspaper articles. I had copies of magazines. I know. This I is specifically a quote. You're quoted and, on the no, recording and, saying the document was secret, adding that you could have declassified it while you were president, but, quote, now I can't. You know this is still secret, highly confidential. And the indictment cites the recording and the testimony from people in the room saying you showed it to people there that day. So you say on this on tape it says just the opposite. that you can't and, declassify and so you, why have it? When I, said, when I said that I couldn't declassify it now, that's because I wasn't president. I, I never made any about that. When I'm not president, I can't declassify. That's what you said. You didn't said declassify. That. I said, no, no. I said I couldn't I de- could have that declassified. That wasn't a document, Brett. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. I'm just saying what the indictment says. Well, they, the recording people, and the look, people in the room who these testified. These very dishonest people. They're thugs. They're thugs. If you look at what they've done to other people, what they've done to, and overturned in the U.S. Supreme Court, these are thugs. These the suggestion was people. that you wanted this as evidence that the military, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, had preemptively sent you plans for a possible attack on Iran and that you didn't order that to happen. That's the suggestion. I never ordered it to happen, no. But no. that's why you wanted the document. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a document from Milley. Milley, frankly, was incompetent. The last one I'd want to attack with as my leader would be Milley. That I can tell you. All right, last I think thing you know on this. You, there are 31 documents listed nuclear capabilities of foreign countries, related to military capabilities of foreign countries, intelligence briefings on foreign countries. Why do you want to hold on to those documents after you're president? I don't say I do. You just didn't know what was in the box? With NARA, giving them back. All of a sudden, we've got raided, which is a violation of my you know, Fourth Amendment rights. They raided my home, and they came in and they took things. We were discussing this with NARA. You can imagine. First of all, I'm not sure why our audio service here sped that up. Brett Baer does not talk that fast, nor did he talk that fast on the uh, television yesterday when I watched this. So if this is a little tough, my apologies. This is an audio service that we use, and they see appear to have sped up the tape a little bit, maybe just in the interest of, of time. I don't know. But I want you to focus on two things here, because this is what I asked Jim Jordan about, and quite frankly, Representative Jordan, Chairman Jordan, of the Judiciary Committee had a hard time answering this, as has everybody else that has been asked about the audio tape in which he refers to a document as being highly confidential and secret. In the eyewitness and audio recorded encounter 
The eyewitnesses told the investigators, according to the indictment, that he was holding up a document. The audio tape confirms that there was a document and that he said, I could have classified it, but I didn't. And now that I'm not president, I can't classify it. But it's still secret and highly confidential. Now, when Brett Baer asks him about this, he says, oh, there were a lot of things there, and there were newspaper clippings and, and magazines. Well, those are irrelevant, and every prosecutor in the history of law would look at that and say, we got him. Because why would he have ever needed to classify a newspaper clipping? Why would he have needed to classify a magazine? Why would he have needed to classify non-secret and highly confidential things? He specifically said on the audio tape, according to the indictment, as Brett Baer read, that it's highly confidential and secret. I didn't classify it then, declassify it then, I should say, and I can't declassify it now that I'm not president. It's still secret and highly confidential. He wouldn't be talking about magazine, uh, uh, magazines and newspaper clippings. He's talking about something that, that he, by his own definition, according to the audio recording, was highly confidential and secret and not declassified because he didn't do it then and he can't do it now. Now, if I'm his defense attorney, I'm part of his legal team, I am looking at him and saying, Sir, boss, friend, Mr. President, why are you saying these things on national television? You are giving the prosecution all of the room that they need now to attack you. We need to keep our defense strategy quiet and not put you out in front of the world in, in order for you to you know, continue to campaign, but while you're hurting your case, hurting us as we try to defend you. You're literally saying things that don't make sense, that are giving the prosecution all of the information they need to know exactly what you're going to say on the stand. You're going to argue that I had magazines, that I had newspapers. So what are you talking about? What documents? What do you mean, Iran attack plan? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, it's the eyewitnesses in the room, and it's the audio tape. They're going to spell those things out, and you're going to try to sell the, no, I was talking about magazines. Why would magazines be declassified in the first place? Why would they need to be declassified, rather? Because why would they be classified? They're not. This is the kind of thing that is going to harm his legal case. Now, if you, like me, want President Trump to win this ridiculous case, or better yet, to not have it go to a judge and jury, to actually get this thing dismissed, the legal maneuverings that happen behind closed doors have to be kept behind closed doors. You can't be giving public interviews about these kinds of things when they're only going to serve to harm you, when you can't answer difficult questions. Let me rephrase. If you can't handle Brett Baer's questions on these things, how are you going to handle a federal prosecutor's in a deposition or in a trial? Because if your answer is, I had a lot of things there, I mean, what are you talking about? It doesn't fly. It doesn't work. Because what we're talking about here are things that you said you could have classified, but you did, or could have declassified, but you didn't. And now you can't. That means we're talking about highly confidential material, because you never would have classified boxes of magazines or newspapers. These things do not help the cause. 
President Trump is being railroaded by Joseph R. Biden, Merrick Garland, and a special counsel named Jack Smith. President Trump should not help them in their railroad. He needs to not say more. He needs to say less, and he needs to not allow himself to be cornered by somebody like Brett Baer. I mean, it's not like he went on with Rachel Maddow, but very clearly Brett Baer wasn't going to let him escape this. He was going to pin him on this, and he did. If you can't handle Brett Baer, how are you going to handle the federal prosecutors? You can't expose yourself like this. You look bad to the voters. You look like you are completely lost for an answer, and you're making up the, what do you mean? I had boxes of things there. There was no single document. Well, you wouldn't have had classified magazines. You would have only had classified documents like the one that was specifically uh, identified by one of the eyewitnesses. Now, you might also say to yourself, well, how do you know you can trust the eyewitnesses? You don't. We don't know who they are yet. The prosecutors do. But one can assume that if he's at Mar-a-Lago in July of 2021, after leaving office in January of 2021, if he's in Mar-a-Lago... Who else is in Mar-a-Lago with him other than friends, allies, supporters, right? He's not going to have enemies at Mar-a-Lago with him. If he's talking about classified documents with people in Mar-a-Lago on that tape, you would assume he is talking with supporters and allies, not people who would lie about him. So the prosecutors have, according to the indictment, eyewitnesses, who will testify that he did have a document there that was referred to as highly confidential and one that he did not declassify, but that he should have, or he could have, rather, and now he can't since he's an ex-president. Those witnesses are going to carry weight because they're going to be allies. He wasn't talking to enemies in his own residence in July of 2021, one would not imagine. And if he was talking to somebody who's an enemy, would he be flaunting boxes or doc, excuse me, documents that he's claiming he declassified? So it's a struggle. It's a struggle for President Trump here, including for those of us who are trying to underscore the fact that he's being victimized by an ongoing character assassination and personal attack since he came down the golden escalator for seven years now they've been going after the guy he knows it and i don't understand why he's helping them we're trying to we're trying to underscore what's being done to him and he's going on national television and he's hurting his own case that's a problem going to play this uh, clip for you as well. Uh, this is President Trump. This is President Trump talking about um, his campaign now. And the number of, Brett Baer is asking him about the number of uh, individuals who have come out who worked for him, that he supported and who supported him, who do not support him uh, any longer. Um this one is a little bit tough to listen to, too, but Brett Baer is not going to hold back here. And as I said, this is why I don't know why Trump would agree to the interview with Fox. Fox is no longer, I don't believe, objective in their coverage of Donald Trump. They were for the last better part of the last six years the only objective news organization working to cover him. 
the networks and the rest of cable news were not objective, obviously, and, and I don't think Fox is any longer either. It feels like they're, they're out to get them, and it's a problem. Uh, it's 9.52 I'm seeing now, so we're going to take a time out here. I'll play this next clip for you right after this. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 9.55. We've just got a couple of seconds, well, five minutes left here to uh, hit a couple of more points about President Trump. And I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not trying to play one on the radio, but I cannot understand why his lawyers are letting him go on TV and doing interviews with people like Brett Baer. This is not in his best interest. Listen. In 2016, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous. Look, we had the best economy we've ever had. This the world time has ever seen. Your vice president, Mike Pence, is running against you. Yeah. Your ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, she's running against you. Your former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned National Security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, says you shouldn't be president again. Uh, calls you the consummate narcissist and troubled man. You recently called and uh, Barr a, a gutless pig. Uh, you're second defense secretary is not supporting you, called you irresponsible. This week, you and your White House called your White House chief of staff, John Kelly, weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain. You called your acting White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, a born loser. You called your first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, dumb as a rock. And your first defense secretary, James Mattis, the world's most overrated general. You called your White House press secretary, Kayla Kennedy, milquetoast. And multiple times, you've referred to your transportation secretary, Elaine Chao, as Mitch McConnell's China loving wife. So, why did you hire all of them in the first place? I'll play his answer in a second here. But that was one minute and 12, st- 12 seconds of devastation. Those facts are all devastating because he picked every single one of them. He had his choice of anybody in the world to serve in each of those critical roles. And he chose them. If they're deep staters, he chose them. If they're rhinos, he chose them. If they're small-brained, he chose them. If they're pigs, he chose them. If they're milk toast, he chose them. He made all of those decisions on his own or through the advice of other people that what? That he chose. I have long said for the phenomenal results that President Trump got for us in four years, his judge of character, his ability to evaluate people to surround himself with, was his biggest flaw. And Brett Baer just laid it all out. All of these people you picked, now you insult them mercilessly, and you say they're awful, they're terrible, they're dumb, they're this, they're that, the other. Why'd you pick them in the first place? It's a devastating question. His answer to me is wanting. As I hired 10 to 1 that were fantastic. We had a great economy. We had phenomenal people in charge of the economy. We had phenomenal people in the military. I'm not a fan of Milley, and I'm not a fan of certain of the television people. But I knocked out ISIS. I defeated ISIS. They said, Mattis, it would take three years, and I don't think we can do it. I did it in a period of, like, four weeks. What? There's a lot of people who praise you for your policies. I just said that. That's true. Well, I mean, you just went through a list. But don't forget, for everyone you say, I had 10 that love us. The The answer to the question was never given. Because the question was, why did you hire those people? And he said, well, I hired a lot of other people. Those are your lead people. Those are your Pentagon Defense Department uh, secretaries. 
your secretaries of state, your your press secretaries, your UN ambassadors. We're talking about your your your, your national security advisors. These are the people at the highest levels of the government you chose, and these people are saying these things about you now that you shouldn't be president again. Why did you hire them? And he ignored the question and said, well, a whole bunch of other people like me. Great. But what's the answer to the question? Because I'll be honest with you, if I'm a voter, and there's a Republican primary coming, and there is, I want to know how you're going to do better in picking the people that surround you this time around. Quite frankly, it's a it's a it's a disaster that list of people who uh, he insults now as being just the worst at what they do. He chose them. His chief of staff twice, Mark Meadows and John Kelly, both served as chief of staff. He has savaged them as being no, uh, you know, small brained, no intel uh, intelligence uh, individuals. He chose them all. I want President Trump to help himself, not hurt himself, particularly as he faces. This witch hunt. If you have thoughts on it, I'll take them. I'm going to get Kirsten House thoughts on it next. Right here, always right radio, AM 1420, the answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two now underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday. It is the 20th morning of the month of groom in the year of our Lord 2023. Just 10 more days, friends. 10 more days of the grooming of our children. Publicly supported, encouraged, and sanctioned by the federal state local governments that run our lives quite literally the month of groom will become the month of groom part two in july and part three in august it'll be literally year-round but it's sanctioned literally by our governments throughout the month of groom and uh just 10 more days keep keep you know stand fast let's 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 do what we can to survive this because it really, really feels like that's what the challenge is. I've got a lot of stories on that that I'm going to get to in hour number three. But it is not hour number three. Now it is hour number two. And you know what that means. On a Tuesday, it's time for our good friend Peter Carson. <laughs> United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author. Uh, he is also a columnist. Sometimes he hosts the Kirsten Hour Report right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Kirsten, now you've been slacking on the book front lately. Outside of the devil's weapons, I got a, a question from a friend literally, what is today? Tuesday was on Saturday, I think, said, hey, when's Kirsten now going to give us more Mike Guerin? What's going on there? Yeah, I get a lot of those. I'll tell you right now on the book front, um, I've got uh, I've completed another book. It's another to B.B. Griffin that'll go to the publisher next week. And I don't know I don't know when it'll come out. It takes a while between the time you submit the manuscript till the time it comes out. Right. And as far as Mike Guerin's concerned, probably toward the end of the year, my uh, agent wants to hold on to it because he's got this uh, idea of how to boost sales. And I've got another one uh, coming out that involves a an actual def- uh, a Russian defector who's a Mike Guerin type, 
Um, and we'll see, you know, how that works. It's called the Black Russian. So all those... That's the one I was thinking out. of. Yeah. The, yeah in fact, all, the person who asked me said uh, that you were working on the Black Russian, right? Right, right. Exactly, exactly. And so for and, and for your listeners, I really appreciate all the emails and calls I get from them. I try to answer them. They always have, they sometimes have legal questions or policy questions. To the extent I haven't been uh, responsive in the last few weeks is because I do have this book deadline of July to get this book in, and I've been working furiously. I, I don't have any waking time. The Civil Rights Commission, last week we had a hearing. Uh, I practiced law. Uh, I've, <laughs> I'm burning a candle at both. See, now you're making me end. feel bad because I started this line of questioning with, hey, Kirsten, now you're slacking on the book front. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was terrible. in my office yesterday till almost nine <laughs> o'clock working on the book. So, oh my goodness! So you're able to shut off your legal brain after dealing with case law all day long and the things that you're working on there. You're able to shut off the Civil Rights Commission and just suddenly go into the world of fiction and and start uh, writing or continuing rather the, uh, the 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 different stories you're working on. Well, it, it requires a little bit of mental elasticity, some gymnastics. It's, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, the man. older you get, the less, less elastic your brain gets. It's getting a little bit difficult, but, uh, you know, it's enjoyable, and they pay me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, then that, that helps a little bit, too. Uh, okay, Peter, let's dive into the work now. Um, let's start with the Civil Rights Commission, because you uh, you sent me a little note, and I want you to follow up on this. You talked about the Civil Rights Com- uh, Commission uh, meeting that you had last week and uh, talking a little bit about uh, some of Biden's nominees. Um avoiding certain topics as you say it like the plague what are you talking about yeah uh, it's really interesting uh, i mean you've mentioned a million times i've been on the commission forever and ever amen and mm-hmm. uh, so you get a certain sense of the trend lines here the biden administration is petrified of addressing anything dealing with crime or with transgender athletes i think transsexuals generally and it's indicative of how the left approaches a lot of these su- subjects they want to keep it quiet in terms of a legitimate debate because they can't sustain a legitimate debate. Their arguments fall apart extremely fast. In fact, to the extent they even have any arguments. So they'd like to just continue to bludgeon you over the head with their policy points or policy prescriptions without any kind of inquiry from a body like ours. So what we had is, uh, at the Civil Rights Commission, we have um, four new Biden nominees on the eight-member commission. And two have been designated uh, as chair and vice chair. The entire commission's got to vote on chair and vice chair. And we've been holding it up because we wanted a commitment from them that they were going to address certain topics that had been committed to us by the previous caucus of Democrats. And um, they, they've been steadfastly refusing to do so, uh, or they not refusing to do so, but they've been trying to come up with um, workarounds. And it's instructive because the two things we really want to talk about are the um, – transgender athlete issue, and also mm-hmm. study the reasons why the crimes uh, disparate impact on victims based on policies that have been promulgated by the government, not just the federal government, but local and state governments also, like defund the police, no cash bail, suspended sentences, uh, you know, these various prosecutors like uh, Alvin Bragg, Kim Fox, Larry Krasner, and the policies they have in terms of just simply releasing people without even charging them, regardless of how... Um, uh, you know, violent or serious their crimes are, and then going after people like, um, gosh, I can't remember his name, the Marine in the, the uh, subway. Daniel um, Penny. Penny. Right. Yeah, Daniel Penny. Uh, and going after folks like that. And what we've seen, you know, just based on the raw statistical evidence is 
especially Democrat-controlled uh, jurisdictions, crime has gone through the roof in, in, a, in almost a clockwork orange type of fashion. It's just nuts. You know, most people will tell you they haven't seen it like this in their lifetimes, despite the fact that statistics show that, you know, at certain points in the 1970s or 60s, the crime rate was, was identical or maybe even a little bit higher in certain respects. The nature of the crimes is just off the hook. It's just craziness. It's, it really is a dystopia. So we, pro- we wanted to look at that issue. You know, what are the causes of this disparate impact? And, and the crime does have a disparate impact on minority groups uh, for, for reasons that I think your, your folks can, can readily understand. And we wanted to study that. We thought it was important. What are the policy prescriptions? Defund the police and everything like that. And we didn't even cite the policy prescriptions. We want to know what are the cause, the root causes of crime increase and the nature, the weird nature of the crime that we have. People disappearing, you know, uh, the, the border crossers with fentanyl and all that stuff. What, what's happening? And they refuse to do it. They, rather than be confirmed as chair and vice chair, they refuse to do it. And the transgender issue also. You know, we said, okay, if you don't want to do that one, which was a policy, which was a hearing we are going to have before this new iteration, this new group of commissioners was appointed by Biden, we said, uh, well, okay, let's look at a hot issue right now that we really haven't had much uh, debate on, either in Congress or any other uh, avenue except in the media, and that is the uh, issue of transgender athletes. It's a hot issue right now. Virtually every kind of governing organization, sports organization, uh, is affected by it. You've got the case in Connecticut. You know, I had, uh, you know, Alliance Defending Freedom on. You probably have also, but when I guess hosted for, I've had him on a couple of times to talk about that issue, the Soul case, um, up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see it all over, Riley Gaines, you name it. You know, it's, it's, it's all over the place. It's a big, hot issue affecting tens of thousands of people right now, and they don't want to discuss it. They want to run away from it because they don't want to have a critical look at the issue. I mean, a sober, intense look at the issue, not simply talking points, not simply bludgeoning people over the head by saying that you're haters and everything else for even even raising this issue. We want to take a look at it, bring some folks in who have been affected by it, bring some folks in who are experts, doctors, uh, who can talk about the physiology, you name it. And nope, nope, don't want to do it. They'd rather have that cudgel to bludgeon people with and make you seem like you're a bad person, you're a bigot and everything else, because you don't want a six foot four or however tall he is, Leah Thomas, uh, swimming next to Riley Gaines, who, I don't know, how she. Five two five three. Yeah. They'd rather just simply have the visual and bludgeon you over the head. So it's indicative of how the left approaches things, but it also tells you the type of issues that they're petrified of that come the election. I think if Republicans just very responsibly address these issues, they are going to get a significant portion of the vote naturally. And I think they have a real uh, uh, opportunity to get into demographic groups that, you know, they should be doing better in among minorities, for example, because minorities are, have the disparate impact of crime visited upon them because of these idiot policies of Democrats. Same thing with transgenders and females. There's a lot of parents out there, a lot of mothers, uh, for example, who are upset that their daughters are getting up at four in the morning to get into the pool or go on the track or on the ice rink or whatever it might be, been working their butts off, and then here comes some guy who is a horrible athlete when he's compared against his usual cohort, his other males, but all of a sudden he's Superman when he competes against females. By the way, how many transgender males have you seen competing anywhere? You know, you mean as women. how come it never goes you, the other way? How how many how many transgender you, you males? You mean actual females who transition to male exactly. and then go compete? Yeah, no, they don't. None. What's how many of them have gone into male locker rooms, for example? Just show up. 
I mean, that by itself tells a common sense person that we are, that you need anything. Anyway, I mean, most people who have common sense knows we have gone into loony land. And unfortunately, we have got medical establishments, we have got professors, we've got, you, know, you name it, governments that seem to accept this stuff. It's, it's, it's the emperor's new clothes all over again. We're, we're being asked to accept an absurdity, and as people who've been in totalitarian regimes or subject to totalitarian regimes can tell you readily, if they can get you to say a man is a woman, they can get you to say and accept anything. And that's the aim. Once that psychological barrier has been broken, then the governing aspect of it becomes simple for anybody who has a totalitarian mindset. Pete, I want to follow up on this a little bit, uh, not, not on the sport aspect of it, but on your point about the Biden nominees not wanting to touch this with a 10-foot pole because uh, obviously they can't, they can't go against the LGBTQ narrative and this, this massive agenda, this what I call a transdemic. Um, this is not here. It's in England, but I think it's, it, uh, it, it, it really kind of buttresses the point we're making here. They don't want to touch it because they know if they tell the truth about what they really believe, they're going to get canceled. They're going to they're going to lose their careers, particularly if they're Biden nominees or they're Democrats. But but you know what, Pete? I don't believe that this fifty percent of the population is this stupid. I don't believe that they are all no. biology deniers and that they really think that quote trans women are real women and that men can have babies. They know this, but they can't say it out loud. As as an example. There's a there's a viral video that's making the rounds. I'm not going to play the audio for you because it's a student in an in a UK classroom who's recording it, so it's a little muffled and it's a little bit hard to hear on radio. So I'm going to read you a portion of the text, uh, the exchange between two students who were berated and and attacked by their teacher for daring to say out loud what they believe. And I'm just going to read this back and forth uh, for you for a moment here. Bear with me, teacher. How dare you? You just really upset someone saying something like, some, saying things like should be in an asylum. Students one and two. I didn't say that. Student one. I just said if they want to identify as a cat or something, then they're like genuinely unwrapped. Student two. That they've gone mentally unstable. Student one. Yeah, they're crazy. Teacher, you're questioning their identity. Student one. I wasn't questioning. I was saying about the gender. I haven't said anything about them. Teacher, but what did you get this idea that there are only two genders? Student two, because there is. Student one, that's my opinion. Student two, that's my opinion. There are only two genders. Student one, if I respect their opinion, why can't they respect my opinion that there's only two genders? Teacher, it is not an opinion. It's not an opinion you can have. Students one and two, yes, it is. Uh, student one, there are no other private parts. There are two genders. Teacher, gender is not linked to parts that you are born with. Gender is about how you identify, which is what I said right from the very beginning of the lesson, student one. Well, I just don't agree with that, so why should I have to listen to what I don't agree with? Teacher, biological sex. There is actually three biological sexes because you can be born with both male and female body parts or hormones. Did you know that? Student one, yeah, there's three, not 300. Student does, uh, student two doesn't mean teacher. Yes, in, uh, there's three in terms of biological sex. In forms of gender, there's lots of genders. Pete, I'm getting there. Trust me on this. <laughs> student, student one, I don't agree with that. Teacher, there's transgen- transgender, there's agender, people who don't believe that they have a gender at all. Student two, yeah, but you can't have that. Teacher, what do you mean you can't have it? It's not a law. Student one, yeah, it's not a law, but it's our opinion, and we don't agree with it. We just think it's all student two. If you have a vagina, you're a girl. If you have a penis, you're a boy. Teacher, but cisgender is not necessarily the way to be. 
you are talking about the fact that cisgender is the norm, that, that you identify with the gender, with the sexual organs you were born with, or you're weird. That's basically what you're saying. Loads of people agree with it. There's only a small minority of people who think that, says student one teacher. And why do you think we have so many problems in the world with homophobia? You're saying that people can't change who they want to be. They can't, says student two, unless you have a penis. You're so wrong. Um, And I want to get to the money line here because this is the point you are trying to make here. Uh, teacher says, I am reporting you to Miss Willis. You need to have a proper educational conversation about equality, diversity, and inclusion because I will not have that expressed in my lectures when I'm teaching you about who you want to, who you can be and who you want to be. And here it is. Student one, everyone else thinks it. Everyone else thinks it and they just don't say it because all of this happens. Teacher, maybe it's because they're polite and maybe they're sensitive. And that's that's a long, long way to get where I wanted to be there, Pete. Um, the student knows more than the teacher. Right. Why is it that nobody says what we're saying right now? Because look what you're doing to us right now. You are trying, first you're going to report us to the principal. We're going to have, uh, have, have detentions. We're going to have suspensions. We're going to have all kinds of problems here. So we're not allowed to say the reality. We're not allowed to give the, the biological part of this because it's going to get us in trouble. So that is... The point here, Pete, being that it's not just the United States. Virtually all of the West has been taken in by this transdemic, and people who know better are literally terrified to say what they know because of the consequences, and that would include, going back to your point, some of these Biden nominees. I'm sure they don't believe the crap that they have to say in their their testimonies. Well, Biden nominees are a little different. (laughs) But nonetheless... Um, you're, you're right, and I think, you know, that exchange really points out that, uh, you know, out of the mouths of babes, so to speak, the kids should have been teaching the class. But what I've seen, you know, I think almost Just all like the Massachusetts afraid, kids. Just yeah, like the Massachusetts all, kids last week. Yeah, we're all afraid of cancel culture. Uh, every single one of us is afraid that our livelihoods are going to be dashed because of this, this current craze, this fixation that just, you know, it's only been a, a, about us for the last few years. Out of thousands of years of human civilization, all of a sudden now we've discovered something that heretofore nobody knew. And if, if you even express a contrary opinion, you're canceled, you're eliminated, you don't have, you know, your, your livelihood may go away. Um, and I think there's so many issues to address here, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have a hearing. There's so many issues to address. First are the facts. Can we get the facts out? Because they don't want to address the facts. The facts govern. The facts would control everything, and the outcome they know would not come out very favorably for them if we lived in the real world. They don't want to do that. But there's so many other aspects of it. The First Amendment aspect, the compelled speech aspect of it. You've got all these institutions this morning I was reading about various uh, medical establishments and associations that are censuring doctors and psychiatrists uh, for simply acknowledging a reality that's been in place for years and uh, years, forever. And and now it's, it's, that's the worst aspect of it, I think. You know, if you go to a doctor that doesn't see things in strict biological terms, you have to wonder. Uh, uh, You know, I'm not going to be going to an airline pilot who thinks that trains can fly. 
um, you know, there, there's, there's certain <laughs> verities, there's certain eternal verities that prevail regardless of what you want to imagine or think. And I think all of us want to be compassionate, all of us want to be, you know, nice and don't want to give unnecessary insults to people, but we also want to maintain our own sanity and operate in the real world. And we don't want to be punished because we have acknowledged a truth that's been the truth for the entire, entirety of human existence. There's something fundamentally unfair about that, but something yeah. very frightening and troubling when you've got the major institutions throughout the world, frankly, except in you know certainly in the Western world. Let's put it that way, that will destroy you if you don't accept the party line. That's Soviet, and I've that, that is, a million yeah. times before. That's what and, and we are literally do. talking about destruction of of your your career as a student. In the kid, the case of the kids that I was quoting to you, in the in the case of uh, potential political nominees or appointees, uh, we're talking about literally the destruction of your career if you don't toe the party line and if you don't repeat uh, the uh, the mantra, no matter how illogical or easily un uh, disprovable it is. Peter Kirsten out right back with us after this time out on Always Right Radio. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Okay, 1038. Now let's continue with our good friend Peter Kersenau from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, um, President Trump is being railroaded. President Trump is the victim of a hoax that started in 2015 and has not let up since. It's just that they've changed the name a few different times. And this time it's the classified document scandal. However, um, there... Not everyone is rowing the boat in the same direction here and trying to defend him. And the person who seems to be rowing in the other direction is President Trump himself. He did an interview with Brett Baer yesterday, which I don't know why he did. I don't know why his legal counsel would advise this, why his political or campaign advisors would allow him to go on and talk about this pending criminal case that he, that he uh, uh, is facing now. Because he doesn't help himself when he can't handle the questions from Brett Baer. It lets the prosecutors know exactly how to handle him when they uh, get him on the stand or in a deposition. And I want to play a clip for you that um, I, I just I'm, I'm struggling to understand myself. Why it is he would do this and why it is he uh, cannot explain away uh, this part of the uh, uh, this part of the story, the 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 audio recording. Listen, Peter Kersenow. I don't want to dwell on it, but according to the indictment, you were here at Bedminster on July 21st, 2021, after you're no longer president, and you were recorded saying that you had a document detailing a plan of attack on another country that was prepared by the U.S. military for you when you were president, the Iran attack plan. You remember that? Ready? You were recording. It wasn't a document. Okay. I had lots of paper. I had copies of newspaper articles. I had copies of magazines. I know. This I is specifically a quote. You're quoted and, on the no, recording and, saying the document was secret, adding that you could have declassified it while you were president, but, quote, now I can't. You know this is still secret, highly confidential. And the indictment cites the recording and the testimony from people in the room saying you showed it to people there that day. So you say on this on tape it says just the opposite. that you can't and, declassify and it, so why have it? What, what I said, when I said that I couldn't declassify it now, that's because I wasn't president. I, I never made any bones about that. When I'm not president, I can't declassify it. that's what you said. You didn't said declassify that. it. I said, no, no. I said I couldn't declassify could it. that wasn't a document, Brett. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. I'm just saying. 
Peter, um, it doesn't help. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. You are. But this does not help. Um, Newspaper articles and magazine articles and clippings, they would never have been classified and thus needed to have been declassified when he was president or not able to declassify now that he is not a president. Um, He's he's going public with, with... some statements and some answers to difficult questions, Peter, that only underscore and strengthen the case against him. Even uh, conservative supporters of President Trump are just baffled by the strategy of going public with this stuff. How do you see it, Peter? Well, here's how I see it, two ways. From a legal standpoint, lawyers, you know, I've always told witnesses or people who are witnesses, you just don't talk outside the courtroom. You don't say anything. Right. And, you know, that that's just tactically and strategically the smart thing to do. You don't want to give your opponent any ammunition um, voluntarily. And lawyers can pick up almost anything, anything you say, and it can be used, and it can be fashioned in a way or cast in a way that looks like you're lying, looks like, um, you know, like this. admission against interest. Um, all I know is, I, I will say this also as a lawyer, that none of us know all of the facts in the case. So even though it was monumentally ill-advised for him to talk, we don't know what the ultimate impact is going to be. We assume it'll be adverse, but we don't know that because not everyone knows the facts. Bill Barr doesn't know all the facts. Andy McCarthy doesn't know all the facts. Mark Levin doesn't know all the facts. Kersenow doesn't know all the facts. So I don't know how it's going to play out. I've been involved in very complex proceedings where things might look bad on the outside, and all of a sudden it doesn't really look that bad if you know all of the facts. Here's what I'll say. It was it's, uh, tactically a dumb thing to do. He shouldn't have done it. And I don't know. You know when you have Trump, you're going to have a client that can't be controlled. There's the legal aspect of it, but there are a couple of other aspects to it. One is the political aspect of it. Ever since Trump opened his mouth, his poll numbers have gone up. Every, every, Every time they go after him and do something that I think people in their guts feel is fundamentally unfair, and this is fundamentally not just unfair, it's undemocratic. It's against the essential rules of our country. You don't This is not Venezuela, it's not the Soviet Union. And I think people intuitively revolt against this kind of persecution, and that's that's not an overstatement. The people who hate Trump, and that's a sizable contingent, will find everything he says against the law. People who love Trump will say, will come up with reasons why it's not against the law law, or it's, you know, uh, de minimis. But the overarching aspect of this is we have a former president and the front runner for the next Republican nomination under indictment, under siege by the political opposition. We've never had this in this country before. It's going to, it, left unchecked, it has the potential to destroy the Republic. That's it does. the thing we need to focus on. That That's is your, not an overstatement, can, Peter. I, you, I want to underscore that. Literally, Literally, the republic is at stake here. Uh, I completely concur, and that's what makes it so frustrating as we fight not not as much even for the man as for the republic. If they can do this to this man, I don't care right. who it is, Donald Trump or Joe Smith, if they can do it to this man, they can do it to any man, and, and that literally puts our, our, our entire foundational republic uh, in, in jeopardy here, which is, again, why I don't understand how they are helping the cause of the prosecution and those who are targeting him politically uh, and, and you know, with this election interference and so forth. It just doesn't make any sense how the best what? lawyers in the world, 
I imagine he can afford the best lawyers in the world, or at least in the United States who can practice law here, aren't muzzling him and stopping the, the assisting of, of, the, of the destruction <laughs> of the republic. I mean, it's just crazy, Bob, Peter. Bob, so, sorry for laughing, but who do you know who can muzzle Trump? <laughs> <laughs> if you accepted the engagement to represent Trump, you know what you're getting yourself into. It's one of the reasons why so many people love the guy. This guy cannot be controlled by anyone, and that's what scares the bejesus out of the opposition. That's why he must be destroyed. And but I'm Peter, not it scares the bejesus out of, this, out of his support it, it staff, does. too. I mean, if I'm, you, you know, no you, when you say who can muzzle him, the answer is nobody, which is why if I'm the attorney, the best attorney in the world that he's hired for this whole thing, I say to him, sir, do not go on Fox News. Do not discuss this with anybody outside of a deposition room with us there to guide you. If you do it, we quit. Maybe that's the way you muzzle him, because then you have to find somebody else and find somebody else. I mean, it, it, like I said, we want to help him. I'm on the air every day defending Donald Trump and this, um, against this horrific witch hunt, and he's going on Fox News and undermining it. That can't happen. Yeah, and I, I have no doubt that every single attorney who's represented him has said, do not do it, and said so in vehement fashion. But they have a client that cannot be controlled, and you also know that uh, you also have observed that he's had a number of attorneys that he's gone through. I don't know what's happened to them, but suppose that some have decided that you know they can't handle Trump, he's not accepting their advice, and maybe they decide to resign from his engage, the enge- engagement. But nonetheless... This is where we're at right now. We have a we, we know what we're getting with Trump. Everybody knows that this guy's not going to be controlled. He's not going to limit himself, and it's precisely why people vote for the guy because just because of that. Second is, and I'll repeat it one more time. Um, this is goes to the foundation of the republic. You, you'll never convince those who have a visceral hatred of Trump that this is a dangerous precedent that we we've crossed a rubicon here they don't care they just need to destroy trump but those who are sober-minded whether they're supporters of trump in the middle or and there's hardly anybody in the middle yeah are antagonistic to trump understand that we are at a dangerous precipice right now it goes beyond trump it goes beyond biden it goes beyond all of this stuff it goes to the foundation of the republic and that's not simply i'm not saying that simply because i'm a trump supporter i'm so i would say the same thing if roles were reversed because there's certain things you do not do and it's the first time this has ever happened okay so it's not as if you know we're being um hypocrites about this we've been the same about this all the time but nonetheless this is something we have to take extremely seriously. And bottom line is, if you think Trump did something wrong, and he may very well have done something wrong, and I think that there's a lot of legal arguments that say he did or didn't. You know, the yeah. Presidential Records Act, there's a lot of things for it. There's the duplicity of, I mean, the dual standard, obviously, because uh, Biden, uh, Clinton, everybody in the world did this on steroids. Without Particularly those the, two, yeah. Particularly right, those two without, and no charges. Without even right. the excuse of having the ability to declassify as president, because they weren't. Bingo. But nothing's happening to them, and I think the damage, the derogation of the integrity of the republic is being damaged so much. On top of all that, it's not simply the prosecution, it's the law enforcement aspect of it. We've seen the FBI employ this howling double standard that is a Astonishing. The protection of the Bidens, the Form 1023, you name it. Maria Bartiromo said on Sunday that, by far, this is the biggest political scandal of our lifetimes, and that's a no-brainer. That clearly is. This makes Watergate look like, you know, chump change. It makes everything look like chump change. And yet our corrupt media is kind of whistling past the graveyard on this, hoping they can pull this moron across the finish line to continue damaging our republic. 
Nobody has even talked about the briberies, uh, the bribery uh, allegations about the alleged recordings that Chuck <coughs> Ashley has about the uh, documents, uh, uh, the Form 1023 about the uh, whistleblowers or anything else. They are all just looking and focusing on Orange Man Bad, and that is a genuine threat to the Republic. Pete, I want to pivot <clears throat> to from um, defense strategy and the case against him to election strategy. This was also from Brett Baer last night. It's my personal opinion, Peter, that if he's going to win the uh, the general election, and I think the odds are extraordinarily strong he's going to win the primary because the polls show what the polls show, but to win the general election, in my opinion, he's going to have to be forward-thinking and not constantly looking backwards and being right. vengeful. I want to know your thoughts on this as a campaign strategy. Listen to this. What do you say to that female independent suburban voter who feels that way, to win her back? First of all, I won in 2020 by a lot, okay? You Let's know, get that straight. I won in 2020. You know that this, and if you look at all of the tapes, if you look at shows. everything that you want to look at, you take a look at Truth to Vote, where they have people stuffing the ballot boxes on tapes, or let's go to recent. Well, wait a minute. Let's go to recent. FBI Twitter. Let's go to recent. The 51 agents. All corrupt stuff, Brett. Understand about the all, Hunter Biden. Well, no, but that's cheating on things, the election. But that's cheating on the election. You lost the 2020 election. Uh, Brett. Uh, you take a look at all of the stuff ballots. You take a look at all of the things, including things like the 51 intelligence there were, agents. There were recounts in all of the swing states. There was not significant right. widespread We're trying fraud. to get recounts, real recounts, not just numbers of votes Widespread cast. corruption. There was not a sense of that. There were lawsuits, so, so more than 50 this, of them, by your lawyers, <clears throat> some in front of ready, judges, ready. judges that you appointed. So this argument went on for two minutes, Peter, um, and and never once did he answer the question, how are you going to win back suburban female voters? Yeah. He wants to keep looking back and saying, I won. Now, point of order, I agree with him. I think he won, too. I think he was robbed. I think it was an absolute election fraud. That's my opinion. I'm going to believe that till the day I die that he was robbed. But I don't think he can win in 2024 by continuing to complain about being robbed in 2020. What do you think? I agree with you entirely. I mean, look, we're all sympathetic to what he has to say. But this is about winning in 2024, as you said. Uh, and he's got to articulate a vision for the future. We have, you know, look, Democrats, there's one, we have to understand there is going to be an insoluble standard for Democrats that doesn't apply to Republicans. Gore fought claiming he, he didn't lose forever and ever. Went to court, everything. Did much more than Trump. Same with Kerry. Clinton, she was walking around in the woods with a glass of wine for about three months after the election and continues to maintain that she won. I mean, this, there's a clear double standard. Double, double standards are horrible. Um, they're unfair. They rub us the wrong way. But Trump has to understand that he's not going to win if he continues litigating 2020. It's not going to happen. As much as many of us may agree with him or are sympathetic to him or want him to talk about it, that time has passed. Now we have to focus for the sake of the nation on the future and make persuasive arguments as to why the Biden administration has damaged the, and there's so much ammunition there he should be ticking it off as he can do extremely well comparing the Biden administration with his own everything has gotten worse everything except that we don't have to listen to Trump's mean tweets but everything immigration economy gas prices you know foreign policy it, it's just horrific what is going on compared to where we were the best economy in 50 years lowest black Peter. unemployment lowest female unemployment etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. 
focus on that and articulate a vision for how we can return to that because people are desperate for it. I'm glad you said foreign policy because this is one thing that he said during the Brett Bayer interview that I was very happy to hear, and he's right, and he needs to tout that. The way he handled and held China accountable uh, and, and, and normalized yep. relations, uh, you know, trade relations and, and, and got the incredible trade imbalance uh, shifted, uh, the way that he kept Vladimir Putin in check where he never, ever even thought about crossing into Ukraine after he annexed Crimea under Obama, and now he's doing what he's doing under Biden, that well, the, only, uh, the only gap there is the Trump. So what he did on foreign policy was tremendous, and I want to use that as the backdrop for this from the new Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. On Taiwan, I reiterated the long-standing U.S. one-China policy. Uh, that policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We, rem- we do not support Taiwan independence. Literally, just a few short months ago, Joe Biden declared that they do support Taiwan's independence. And if China were to invade Taiwan, we would commit U.S. military resources to join and defend Taiwan. Who the hell is running the foreign policy in this administration? Is it the president or is it Tony Blinken saying the exact opposite thing the president said? Yeah, who's running anything in this administration? We don't know. We know it's not Biden, because uh, he doesn't know what day it is. Um, but the, the, there are several problems with this, one of which is the timing of this. We just had balloons fly across the United States. We've been humiliated by foreign powers. We had the, the battleship that crossed our battleship. We have the Russians who have humiliated uh, us on a number of occasions with their aircraft. And what he does is go to China, first of all. Location matters. He goes to China after we've been humiliated and says, "What? let's face it, this is a departure from what Biden said, which was a departure from U.S. policy forever and ever, and that is strategic ambiguity when it comes to Taiwan and China. So since we departed from strategic ambiguity inadvertently because Biden opened his mouth, and then Biden set a allegedly new policy for Blinken to go back looks like a grovel. It looks like by, by retreating and going back to where we were before, it looks like we are conceding and capitulating to China, which is a bad, bad look after they just violated our airspace. And looks mean something, because that's how the Xi's and the Putins of the world calibrate what they're going to be doing in terms of foreign policy. And it also frightens the bejesus out of our allies who think we have no clue what we're going to be doing, which invites aggression from our enemies or our adversaries. So they've put us in a much more vulnerable and dangerous posture because of their idiocy, because of their fecklessness. And beyond everything else, I think words matter, but also form and appearance matters. And I don't want to to stress this too much, but every single person in your audience who's ever been in a fight, a physical fight, everybody who's ever served in the military understands certain things that are immutable. And that is when you have somebody who projects weakness just by standing like a Tony Blinken, going to China, number two, and then three, doing something that looks like a retreat from a position, whether that retreat uh, should have happened or not, but appears to be a retreat from a position, that signals to the Xi's, the strongmen of the world, that they can be had. And they can be had, especially when our military has been allowed to deteriorate. You look at a million in Austin who should be running, you know, milk trucks rather than the Pentagon, no disrespect to folks who drive mill trucks, but those uniforms of theirs don't necessarily impart the kind of 
decorum and standards that you would, that you would have gotten, say, from looking at a, um, among others, Eisenhower, Pat, and you name it, MacArthur. So these are real problems. How you project weakness can have downstream effects, or how you project strength can right. have downstream effects, and these guys project weakness at every turn. That's why Ukraine was invaded. thousand percent. And that might be President Trump's strongest argument as he runs, even more so than the economy we had when he was in uh, the the 1.9% inflation as opposed to the 9.5% inflation of the uh, Biden administration and so forth. It might just be world affairs and foreign relations, which uh, uh, is an absolute disaster under uh, under Joe Biden. Uh, Peter Kersenow, terrific conversation. Thank you so much for the wisdom and the analysis. As always, my friend, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Bob. Great fun music. Get back to writing. Uh, ten fifty six. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we need some we need some Mike Garrett. Uh, ten fifty six. Let's take a time out. Always right radio AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Head out on the highway, looking for adventure in whatever comes up. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, we roll into hour number three on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It is a Tuesday, the 20th morning of the sixth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. If you missed the interview with Peter Kersenow, that's on you. You know he's on every Tuesday at this time. If you missed it, we're still going to make it up for uh, make it easy for you. Just go to uh, whkradio.com, click on the podcast page about an hour after the end of this show at about one o'clock. It should be posted for you so that you can catch up on what you missed, including Peter Kersenow. Now, Pete and I talked politics, obviously culture wars. Uh, let's turn away from politics and cultural issues and let's talk about something that I think everybody can unite behind, and that's protecting and in this case, finding kids. Different leaders from different religions are teaming up for one purpose, to help fix what they call a crisis in Northeast Ohio. Over the last year, more than 2,400 kids between the ages of 13 and 17 are missing in the county. And we believe that not only are they missing in Cleveland, but also Cuyahoga County. Clergy from a number of different churches met in Oakwood Village at Mount Zion Church, calling on local officials to step up their efforts to solve cases involving missing kids. Our job is to see what's going on in the world around us and to sound the alarm in the hope that people hear us and begin to respond. 
Thanks to our friends at Fox 8 News for that little clip. Uh, one of the voices you just heard belongs to Dr. Larry Macon. He is the pastor of Mount Zion Church in Oakwood Village. He is one of the leaders trying to get a little bit more done to find these missing kids. And he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about how we can help. Dr. Macon, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the program this morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you, Bob, for inviting us on your marvelous uh, program, and you're doing a wonderful, wonderful work in our community. Thank you. Well, that is very kind of you to say. God bless you, sir, and I appreciate that. God bless you. I didn't know the number. Oh, my goodness. When I saw the report and I saw some of the some of the things that you and some other faith leaders were, were talking about here, it blew me away. I mean, there are always going to be, sadly, uh, as long as there are people, there are going to be bad people, and there are going to be people who victimize other people, sad to say, but there's always always going to be missing kids as a result of that sort of thing um but goodness 2400 kids between the ages of 13 and 17 reportedly missing in the county that's an astronomical number dr macon to 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 what do you attribute this uh, this sudden surge well that's uh, that's first of all that's a number that's that's relegated actually to the city of Cleveland. We found out the next day after the press conference, the uh, police chief of Cleveland had his own press conference and said, mm-hmm. well, there's 1,100 kids, about 1,100 kids missing right now in Cleveland alone. So now we know that the number is even greater. We only got from the uh, chief in his interview mm-hmm. that they are runaways missing. We don't know why they ran away. We don't know what happened to them while they were away, and we don't know what happened when they returned. So we are concerned um, about uh, not only runaway kids that go and come back, and we don't even know how long uh, they've been missing. Uh, But uh, we do want to know whether or not these kids have been sexually trafficked uh, or sexually abused, whether or not they've been in drug houses, uh, whether or not uh, they even uh, have been murdered. Uh, so it's it's just a terrible, terrible uh, thing that's going on with our kids. So the 2,400 number is far worse in the county uh, than that. We also discovered that most of these kids don't even have a photo in the uh, missing uh, children uh, link. So we don't even know what they look like. So we're just uh, really, really devastated. And we were trying to, first of all, make the community aware that we've got a major problem. Uh, it's one thing when adults are missing. It's another thing when children are missing between ages of 13 uh, and uh, 17. Uh, my own experience of having one of my child missed uh, in a uh, metro park area for three hours. I was devastated, and I really don't know, and, and I really don't understand how children can be missed more than a day without parents basically losing their mind so it's it's a devastating uh, problem right now bob it is all of that we're talking with uh, dr larry macon he's the pastor at mount zion church in oakwood village i uh, i can't even imagine as you said three hours not knowing where my child is my, i don't know if i would survive and my heart would probably explode out of fear um and and to have it be days or weeks or months or more uh is something i cannot comprehend so let me ask you this dr macon um what 
are you and the other faith leaders who met to kind of have this press conference, to shine a light on this, to let the public know how deep the problem is now when we're talking about thousands of kids gone missing. What is it that you're doing? Are you working with police? Are you working with city officials? Are you working with federal agents, for that matter? What what are you doing, and what can we do to help those efforts? Well, one, we know that this problem is, is just not a one institution or organization uh, mm-hmm. problem or solution. So what, we're, what we did was we, we are challenging the uh, uh, City of Cleveland Police Department to do all they can to find these missing kids and to uh, engage the entire community in that effort of finding actually 200 kids every month, different kids every month, uh, to engage the uh, community, which the uh, police chief did the next day. Secondly, we're asking the U.S. Marshal to, uh, you know, up the ante on his, uh, on their programs uh, to help with the police department. And also we need to uh, work with uh, social services, uh, the county uh, family and children services, uh, to find out what do they know about the missing kids and how are they addressing it uh, also and with the parents. We're asking churches to begin looking at their district, their um, their precincts, and begin uh, trying to find photos of these children, post them in their church, and have conversation, and even provide uh, certain kind of workshops, um, you know, parenting workshops, uh, more children and youth activities inside of their churches. Uh, well, you know, we should pray, yes, but Bible says prayer. Uh, prayer, uh, faith without works is dead. So we need them to get involved. And as church leaders, we need them to say this is a crisis. Uh, it's a devastation. It's something that ought not to be happen- happening, but it is. And we have got to take care of our children and our family. So those are those are a couple of things that we're trying to do. We're also uh, working right now to create a task force. Uh, within the United Pastors and other churches to address this issue and see how we can help uh, this issue. We also are asking our mayors to begin getting involved and making sure that uh, their uh, community is actively notified of what's going on and how the community can come together and move from what I call a community back to a neighborhood. Uh, when I grew up, if a child got missing, everybody in the neighborhood left their houses and went out into wherever and attempted to find those children. Uh, we all knew each other in the community, and we were, as the Bible says, our brothers and sisters keeper. And we were there to support uh, parents who might have lost their children or their child was missing. So it's a variety of things that we're trying to do, and hopefully the uh, mayor's offices can create a missing children task force to figure out how they can uh, help in this whole uh, this whole uh, devastating uh, situation of our kids. Yeah. Dr. Macon, I, I love that idea because the reality is the resources in the city of Cleveland are just not there now. Um, they are under budgeted, or excuse me, understaffed some four to five hundred officers in the police department uh, that are budgeted for. Uh, they can't get enough people, so the police resources to search for kids and work these angles and, and so forth and follow up on tips 
are extraordinarily limited. So they're going to have to, and that's in the city of Cleveland specifically. So as you say, we're going to have to reach out to the mayors and the councils and, uh, you know, the leaders of all of the other surrounding cities and the surrounding communities. And I love your example, by the way. I'm old enough to remember those neighborhoods, too. I didn't grow up in the inner city. I grew up in a western suburb. But uh, but I, I, the, the neighborhood that you talk about is just not there the way it used to be. I don't care where you live. Uh, and they're going to have to pull together like they have not before because, as you're outlining, Dr. Macon, the problem is far worse now than it has ever been. I feel like, you know, runaway kids in the 60s and 70s was still a horrific thing. But runaway kids today lead to kids getting nabbed and lured into the trafficking right. world. Uh, yeah. the, the channels and the back channels that they have to get these kids swept up and taken out of the cities that they were grabbed in to other locations. It's swift, it's efficient, and it's devastating to think about that. And that's why it's so crucial for everybody to come together from all the communities. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, the police are doing uh, their overtime right now with the uh, few uh, policemen that they do have. Mm-hmm. But one thing we we could do as a community is think about how we have to make sure that the police can major in the major and have to set aside some of the minors. So uh, when we're calling them for certain kinds of things, uh, you know, we have to take in consideration. We have a limited number of police on the force. Mm-hmm. They're doing overtime. So there are certain calls that we should not be making as a, uh, a community or individual. If it's not a deathly important kind of a situation, we should give them time to work on those top issues, such as murder, such as finding children. Yes. And uh, we should encourage them to increase the investigators as well. There's only one uh, missing uh, uh, po- policeman per uh, station, I believe, working on missing uh, persons, whether they're kids or adults. So, you know, they can't and when you're do talking, everything. When you're, yeah, and when you're talking thousands, as you just laid out, uh, right. in the city of Cleveland and in, in Cuyahoga County, I mean, obviously one person can't do a 1,000 himself. One person can't do 500. One, one person can't investigate 50 missing kids alone, That's you right. know? Uh, so it is. It is... Um, it is crucial that we find ways to prioritize and use the resources that we do have. And, um, and, and you know, Dr. Macon, what, you really hit me a minute ago when you said that some of these missing kids are only known by name and not by photograph, that there's no photos that can be provided by parents of missing kids to say this is what he looks like or she looks like and this is who we're looking for so that those who are on the lookout can have something to go on. That's, that's so sad. That's crushing. That's uh, where we all have to work together. The police chief said that uh, they don't, if you look up under the missing kids link, you will not find, I I can't tell you what percentage, but it's so very high. And the police chief chief said that they can't get the photo from parents. Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know that sometimes there's a bigger issue there. Uh, there are some parents who don't want to initiate anything with police because of their history. That is not the same today. They are much better today. But their history said that when they come to your home, perhaps you will be a, uh, you, you know, you will run into problems. They may have a warrant or whatever else. But the chief said he's not getting the photos. Uh, the thing that was more sadder for me is that in certain suburbs outside of Cleveland, these kids have been missing for four to five years. So they show the, uh, not the photo because they don't have them in, right. in, in many of these other places. They show the year, 16-year-old. Missing, 19-year-old now, 13-year-old, missing. Right. Now, 
you know, so it's, it's, it's many years. They got 56 kids that they can't even account for. Yeah, that is a devastating thing to think about. Um, we're talking to Dr. Larry Macon. If you just turned on the radio today, uh, Dr. Macon is the pastor uh, at Mount Zion Church in Oakwood Village over, uh, well, thousands of kids, 1,100 in Cleveland, thousands in, in uh, more in uh, in Olakaiga County, and uh, some of the numbers are just staggering of missing children. Um, is there any, have the people that you've spoken to, Dr. Macon, in, in trying to help coordinate some uh, efforts to to solve these these missing kids stories um have they explained why it seems to have ramped up so much i know i asked you that in the very beginning but in recent months or years uh as opposed to say two years ago five years ago and so forth I, i'm sure the number wasn't this high just you know as, as recently as 2020 did, did they talk about why it's gone up well they're basically uh saying that there's a a breakdown of the family and the family structure uh, and the support system of families, and they're basically saying that the majority of those who run away return back home. But as far as giving specific information beyond that, they have not given uh, me that. That's why I'm trying to create a task force uh, both for our uh, churches and also for uh, the city, especially the city of Cleveland, so that we can understand where they're going, why they're going there. I mean, it's 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 so devastating that uh, some of the persons who knew about this incident said that if you walk in certain areas, you'll find a whole set of clothes just laying outside of a uh, on on the streets, and they believe that those are kids that have been snatched up. And the first thing they do is tell them take all your clothes off so that they're never identified by what right. they wore last. So they're just basically saying these kids are running away. I think it has something to do with the whole environment uh, or residuals of the pandemic as well. Mental health is a major issue in our our state and our country. Truth. And so, you know, those are the kinds of issues that I think also uh, have, have been impacting these runaway uh, kids. Well, obviously, as you say, the majority of those who run away do come home, uh, and, and maybe that majority would be higher if they weren't being grabbed. I, uh, I cannot help, when we talk about these terrible stories, I cannot help thinking, Dr. Macon, about just last month was the 10th anniversary of, of finding, uh, you know, Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus yeah. and Michelle Knight. Just 10 years ago, uh, they were taken, or I shouldn't say just, it was 10 years ago, and just last month, they uh, it was the 10-year anniversary that they were found. Um, right. You know, those are things that just have to shock the community into action. We can't allow those kinds of things to happen right underneath our noses, and that's why we have to pull together, uh, you know, and, and follow leadership like yours and so many of the other faith leaders that you met with when you spoke to the uh, uh, to the press last week. That's exactly right, and we're working with our foundation as well. Uh, uh, also, Amanda Berry's foundation that she works with uh, in finding these missing kids. It's it's something that we have to come to grips with. We have to realize that we cannot be- bury our head in the sand, but rather we have to look around, become alert, understand that what impacts one person or one family impacts all of us. And um, what you're doing today, uh, I commend you for because you're raising the issue. You're blowing the uh, alert out, the horn out, and saying, hey, let's all get together uh, and let's find these kids. Uh, what I still can't, what still ponders me more or creates a kind of burden for me right now is, is that I still don't know how long are these kids missing. Uh, you know, if it was three hours, that's fine. They're finding them in five hours, okay. But what about days or months? 
how many of those have been found in in that kind of a time uh, time span. So, well, and when you look at the sheer number that we're talking about, too, let's say for the sake of discussion here that there are you know a couple of kids that are being focused on, and they've been gone now for two days, three days, four days, a week. Um, you can't the, the 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 individuals who are tasked with helping to work on those cases and find them suddenly in the course of a week have nine more names. Now I got now I got uh, you know eleven kids that I'm looking for. Some missing two days, some missing two weeks, and the number just goes. And the ones that were originally on you know that you were working on the case on get pushed to the back because I got a new one. Here comes another one, and there's just no way to pay that much attention to all of them. And that's that's just a horrific reality to think about. Which again is why we're trying to pool resources, right? That, that's exactly right, and there's and we estimated in the beginning it to be 200 kids every month, oh. and what the uh, what we got back was is that at the end of the year, this how many kids were uh, missing, and this how many kids came back, which is a very large number to be very honest with you, with you. But like you said, what about those overlapping cases and time spans and and family frustrations? Uh, you know, and here again, we 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 commend our police force for what they're doing. And uh, we just have to take ownership ourselves as well to help them to to get this done and to lower these numbers. By 2024, we hope that we're not confronted with these kinds of numbers and this kind of environment uh, for kids. Well, Dr. Macon, I'm going to close with this. Um, you know, we're making as much noise as we can to try to shine a light on this. But I, I think that the true answer um, is going to come more from people like you, uh, than the people in the police and those who are working very hard to recover kids. Because I think what you said is true. The breakdown of the family is what is leading to so many of these kids not having a connection with their parents, going off someplace, putting themselves in harm's way, putting themselves, even if it's not a straight-up runaway, it's going to the wrong places at the wrong times because they just have no uh, no connection with their parents. Parents don't have any you know photos of their kids. All of these things happening. So to me... I think the, 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 the point of the spear has to be people working on their family units and consulting people like Dr. Larry Macon, a pastor, consulting people like so many of the other clergy and faith leaders that you are working with here. Go and talk to them. Talk about, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting together with family counseling, getting together with individual counseling or whatever is necessary to bring these families back together so that the kids will listen and, and, and not put themselves in harm's way. I think that's it's a long road, but I think the first step has to be taken on that road. That's exactly right. You're you're absolutely right. And so the church is trying to. Uh, up its ante and and to make sure that we're doing all we can to uh, shift from uh, just being uh, mindful of certain kinds of other situations, but rather than focus in on these kids. And we're going to do all we can. We have uh, black pastors, white pastors, Hispanic pastors, and we even have Catholic Church uh, pastors who are now, and the Jewish community, Mm -hmm. who are now focusing in on, let's do something about these missing kids. And I say that they're just not missing I say wherever they are, they are lost, uh, whether it's physical, uh, whether it's emotional, um, whether it's mentally, they are lost, and we are, we're called to find them, and we will do that together. We will find those who are missing, and we will prevent future kids from going missing by by helping to, to heal their families and make sure that they're strong family units. That's got to be the goal. Dr. Larry Macon, pastor at Mount Zion Church in Oakwood Village, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for making this a public issue. And uh, let's let's stay in regular contact with one another so that we can report on uh, your successes and, and also remind people how they can help, okay? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Bob, and God bless you. Have a great day. God bless you, too. Thank you, Doctor. That's Dr. Larry Macon. We took this to the uh, bottom of the hour, so we have to catch up now, and we'll come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Okay, it's 1136. Thanks again to uh, Dr. Macon for the conversation. If you missed the interview with Peter Kersenow earlier, you're going to want to catch that. All of the uh, interviews and commentary is going to be available for you on the webpage, whkradio.com. About an hour after the show, you'll see it on the podcast page. You can listen to it. You can share it. You can... uh, do whatever you want with it, but uh, just don't say that you missed it. Uh, got time for some phone calls here in the final segment of the broadcast, 216-901-0945. We're going to go to the phones, and Rick joins us now from Olmstead Falls, uh, I believe, to follow up on a previous conversation. Rick, good morning. Go right ahead, my friend. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call, B, yes, so we can be able to remind everyone about the upcoming event, uh, Vietnam Veterans Remembrance Day, this Saturday. It'll be the fifth annual one taking place in Olmstead Falls at the Village Green, which is on the corner of Columbia Road and Water Street. And uh, from 5.30 to 6.30, it'll be the ceremony, and we're scheduled to have a flyover also. And then from 6.30 to 10, we're going to have the oldies concert, and people are permitted to bring their coolers, food, beverages, whatever they need. We'll, we'll have hot dogs there and water, but um, supplied by gives, but sometimes you don't know how long those hot dogs last because some of us old guys get pretty hungry. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and you know what? I don't blame you for that at all. Uh, and the old guys who the veterans deserve every doggone, pardon that, doggone hot dog that they prefer. Uh, no, this is uh, this is a, a terrific uh, thing to hear about. Um, you, you called, I, I don't remember when, but I do remember you called, and I said, call me back when we're a little bit closer to it. So, uh, so I'm glad to be able to do that. Especially considering the fact that, and I don't want to, I don't want to get on the, you know, beat the beat the drum here too loudly. But I always talk about this on Memorial Day, and I always talk about it on Veterans Day. You know, why do we have one day to recognize those two extraordinarily important days of sacrifice and so forth? And we get a whole entire month of the nonsense we're dealing with right now, based on uh, uh, the people that you like to have sex with. Uh, so you know, Bob, can, you're absolutely right. The more right we can support that. veterans, the more I'm I'm in for it. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Rick. Ed. But you're, but you're absolutely right on that. You know, we set one day aside for this veteran or the one day aside for this or that. But these veterans serve 365 days, 24 hours a day. They don't take uh, a certain day to serve on or anything like that. And uh, it, it's just, just a nice way to, see, you know, to see the people come. And a lot of them come from your listening audience. And these veterans, because this time the, everything's going to stay right at the Village Green. We're not going to move after the ceremony right up to the bridge. Everything's going to stay right there because uh, we think it's better for the veterans because they, they get together and they talk, and sometimes veterans have an easier way to talk to a veteran. But this time I'm going to talk about why we have to start telling our stories, not all of them because some of those we just can't talk about yet. But we can talk about the other stories of where we were at, how we served, because um, – we have to be remembered, not forgotten. And one of the things that we're going to also do there is we're going to have uh, the Olmstead Falls 8th grade class went to Washington, D.C. I won't make this long. 
But anyhow, I got an email from Kathy Heston of the Alumni Committee, and she sent me a picture of three little boys etching the name of Gary Martell, who was the only one killed from Homestead Falls. And she said in it, Rick, he is not forgotten, and he was he's still remembered by by people. And to me, that kind of changed my whole speech and the whole format that I had planned for. And we're also going to bring back Gary's daughter, Cindy, from uh, the Indiana border at Van Wert to speak and say what this memorial finally has meant after so many years of, of him not being properly honored. Right. Well, you know, and I'm so glad you're doing that. Give the specifics again to people who missed it, uh, uh, if you would, Rick. Okay, it's this Saturday, which is June 24th. It's mm-hmm. always the last Saturday in June. Mm-hmm. It'll be in Olmsted Falls at the Village Green, which is on the corner of Columbia and Water Street. Coolers are permitted. It will start promptly at 5.30 with a flyover, and it should be over around 6.15, 6.30, and then the music starts from that era. And um, hopefully we'll get a good crowd again, as we usually do. But it's just the way to say, you know what, thanks, guys, for what you did. And you're not forgotten. And that's uh, thank that's, you. that's what it's all about. Rick, thank you. Thank you for coming back on to letting us know now that we're in the week of the event coming up this Saturday so that we can tell people all about it. I'm certainly happy to help share that great news. And that all great right. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Uh, let me squeeze in uh, one more call before the uh, end of the broadcast this morning. Todd in Cleveland. Hey, Todd, what's happening? Bob, it is basic parenting to have updated pictures of your children. Height both sides of their faces, and any notes that may be available that says what distinguishes them from other children that may be marks or something on their body. Shoe size, you know, part of speech. And because we live in the 21st century, you know, you can have plenty of video, audio of what they sound like and various um or even just even just the photographs change. i was going to say that too when i was talking to the pastor you know i'm even 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 people who are not necessarily well off impoverished people still get access to smartphones they get right. deals on them and that means you have the ability to snap a picture and how many of us have hundreds of thousands of cell phones yeah and videos of our kids on our phones the they idea record. that a parent wouldn't have that readily available here's the last uploaded pic i got uh, uh, you know, and, and, and here's some video, like you said, and stuff, and here's what he sounds like. Uh, yeah, you would think that that would be very easy for people to do and uh, that they would be invested in it. But like the uh, pastor said, far too many of these families are broken, and there are no relationships between the parents and the kids, and they don't know where they're going, what they're doing, and that leads us to where we are. So without the intention of shunning people, a public service announcement, if you are friends with somebody that may be poor, but you have those resources and you're not quite as poor or poor at all, the sound of voice and the various times that their voice fluctuates, because they do, height, weight, shoe size, both sides of their faces, that's basic parenting. If they can't or won't do it, be a friend and make sure you do it. That's basic parenting. Yeah, all right. I, I would agree. And And the thing is, you know, People generally speaking, if we're talking about neighbors and uh, or maybe schoolmates and things like that, people generally know who the troubled families are. You know, and mm-hmm. if you know that your your neighbors kids are kind of running wild all the time and they don't listen to their mom and dad or whatever, that might be worth the inquiry and saying, "Hey, 
Uh, I, I'm not trying to butt into your business here, but you got pics of your kids, right? We're just trying to make sure the whole neighborhood is safe. Uh, and if Public you don't, I'd be happy to. It. If you don't, I'd be happy to snap one for you and give it right to you, so you can you you know keep it. I, I feel like you know it would be intrusive. A lot of people might take offense at it, but you know what? <laughs> the benefits outweigh outweigh that risk, in my opinion. The school should have it, that information too. Is line them up. Yep. It might be a little awkward, but better safe than sorry. Yeah, I agree. With you. It, it, although, of course, although of course, when we're talking about the kind of families, uh, uh, Todd, they may not even be in school. Mom and dad might not even be making sure they're going to school, so the kids might not even have that uh, that resource for um, you know for last pictures and those kinds of things. But uh, all possibilities, yeah. all possibilities. Let's reduce those possibilities as much as possible. Amen to that. Take the possibilities that you and I are encouraging in this conversation. Recorded conversation. All right, man. Todd, thank you, brother. Appreciate your call. I'm glad you brought uh, brought that up uh, because I completely concur. There's there's no reason whatsoever that we shouldn't be able to have that kind of uh, information at our disposal as we try to find these kids. Okay, thanks to Peter Kersenau, uh who joined us earlier on. Uh, thanks to uh, Johnny and to Marcy and Marianne, my team, and thanks to you for listening, being a big part of the show. Always appreciate it. And thanks to Dr. Macon, of course. Back tomorrow. Uh, be well, be safe, stay free. See you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.